0: This is The Guardian.
1: Today, two earthquakes have hit Turkey and Syria within 12 hours of each other. How will people there recover? It was in the early hours of Monday morning, while people were still sleeping, that the tremors started. In Gaziantep, in southern Turkey, an earthquake measuring 7.8 on the Richter scale had hit, just 11 miles below the ground. And within minutes, it had destroyed almost everything in its path.
2: Do you need a
1: apartment buildings crumbled and schools, mosques and hospitals were severely damaged, thousands of them, across southern and central Turkey. And also into northern Syria, a place that is still so deeply scarred by almost 12 years of civil war. As far away as Lebanon, And in Israel, in Greece, and in Cyprus, people felt the tremors too. Then another earthquake struck. We don't know yet how many people have been killed in this disaster, but they certainly number in the thousands. Amid heavy snow, search and rescue teams are scrabbling through the rubble of fallen buildings, trying to save those who can be saved. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, the human cost of Turkey's worst natural disaster in decades. Ruth Michelson, you're a reporter based in Istanbul for The Guardian, and we're speaking on Monday morning. I know you're going to be traveling to Kayseri, which is a city in the middle of Turkey, straight after this. You know, that's as, that's as close as you can safely get to the epicenter of the earthquake that's happened this morning. Can you start off by just telling me the basics of
2: what's happened? Well, what we know at the moment is that in the early hours of the morning, about 4.30 local time, an earthquake struck southern Turkey, and the epicentre was in the town of Karaman Marash, which is about an hour and a half north of Gaziantep. That's a industrial town um, quite close to the border with Syria. Um, and as a result, um, because of the location of the epicentre of this, we're seeing Destruction across southern Turkey, in Gaziantep itself, where the power is out, people aren't able to re-enter their homes. They're worried about the structural integrity of their homes. They're worried that more buildings might collapse, and that into northern Syria, in areas where we already there are millions of displaced people from over a decade of civil war, that these people have now been affected by the earthquake. Um, on top of everything else that they are already dealing with. So particularly in areas like Idlib in northwest Syria, and around Aleppo. So Gaziantep's twin city, if you like, on the other side of the border. And these are areas where getting to people who are buried under the rubble, providing aid to people who are affected, and simply making sure that people have somewhere to stay after this is going to be much more difficult, even than in southern Turkey, where we're already seeing that the destruction is huge.
1: And this happened overnight, which is a is a particularly scary prospect, isn't it? Because it meant that people just would
2: not have been able to get out of their apartment buildings and their houses. Exactly. I mean, people that we've spoken to already in the course of our reporting said that they were sort of mentally prepared for the idea that there would be earthquakes, because earthquakes are unfortunately common in Turkey, or at least smaller earthquakes are. But people in that part of the country were aware that this was a possibility. But as you say, many of them were were sleeping when it happened. So at least one person that we spoke to said they were woken up by... Uh, the shaking, realizing how bad the earthquake was, and in many cases realizing that this was perhaps the worst earthquake that they had experienced in their lifetimes, and simply being unable to do anything other than stay in their homes and feel fear until the shaking stopped, use the lights on their phone to get dressed and go out into the street, and then figure out what to do. I mean, I've been speaking to people in Gaziantep at the moment who say they can't go back inside their houses or they're potentially going to be living in their car for the foreseeable until they can go back into their homes. And that's in a major city. But it seems at the moment that in smaller towns, places even closer to the epicenter or places in northern Syria where the infrastructure is not built to withstand anything like this. Buildings have not been built to be earthquake-proof in the way that does happen in parts of Turkey, because this is anticipated. Um, that there are people there who are still trapped underneath the rubble. We're hearing things about people tweeting or calling relatives desperately trying to get people to save them from underneath the rubble. Um, and that's happening across large parts of southern Turkey and well into northern Syria
0: death toll has risen threefold and I think there is no doubt it will climb dramatically. The pictures coming out of southern Turkey and northwest Syria are devastating. The rush is now on uh, to try and see if they can recover any victims who have been buried under the rubble.
1: How commonly do earthquakes happen in Turkey and how does this one measure in comparison to those that have happened in the past?
2: So there have been several major earthquakes in Turkey in the past century that have caused destruction. So the President Recep Tayyip Erdogan mentioned in a speech that this is the biggest disaster we've experienced in the last century after the 1939 Erzincan earthquake. And so that was the most severe natural loss of life in Turkey in the 20th century. That killed over 32,000 people. It injured over 100,000 people. The hope from Erdogan, the hope from Turkish officials, the hope from Turkish people is that we won't see anything near that kind of destruction with this earthquake. That, I believe, was a little bit stronger than the one that was measured last night. And so even Erdogan said, you know, we don't know how high the number of dead and injured will go. And our hope is to get through this disaster with the least loss.
1: There have been massive building projects across the country in the past few years, haven't there? Many Um, high-rise buildings developed quite quickly. Are they generally built to withstand earthquakes then if if this is, you know, on a major fault line?
2: It depends where in the country they are. It depends who's building them. And often it depends on things like low-level corruption in particular places. More sort of wealthy, big developments in cities are supposed to be built to be earthquake proof and it's something that you see you know advertised with apartments in certain parts of the country what that actually means in practice is also questionable it's something that is probably very easy to say to people but it's kind of unclear what it means but certainly in other parts of the country particularly in the south where you might see more illegal building and again, into parts of northern Syria that are impacted by this, where there have been buildings that have been put up very hastily to deal with millions of people internally displaced by the fighting elsewhere in Syria. Those are not buildings that could ever be built to, you know, withstand this kind of impact. What do we know about the situation in Syria then at the moment? The situation in Syria looks perhaps even more disastrous um, in parts than what we're seeing in parts of southern Turkey. We're getting a lot of information coming from parts of the northwest because of the role played by the Syrian civil defense. They're uh, commonly known as the White Helmets. This is a rescue force that is normally used to dragging people out of the rubble from airstrikes that are now trying to save people from this disaster. And so they said earlier today that it is an absolutely catastrophic situation, that there are buildings collapsed all over the province of Idlib, that infrastructure has suffered major cracks, that there are hundreds of people injured, stranded, dozens dead, they said, and a lack of services. Many families now are under the rubble. Our team's trying to save them, trying to save their people, to save all the people from under the rubble with all capabilities. But we need help. We need the international community to do something to help us, to support us. Northwest Syria now, it's disaster area. We need help. But the other thing that they added was that they want help from the international community, in their words, to prevent the situation from worsening, and also to call on the Syrian government And the Russian government, both of which have conducted airstrikes in the area in the past, to refrain from doing that for the foreseeable while they're able to deal with the after effects of this tragedy. We know also across other parts of northern Syria into places like Hama, Aleppo, Latakia, which are controlled by uh, the Syrian government of Bashar al-Assad, where the infrastructure has not had time to be rebuilt or to recover from the fighting, and where there has been major sort of political struggles over efforts um, by the Syrian government to rebuild, and that people were already displaced. And now this has struck people who essentially already had nothing left.
1: How far away from the epicentre are people feeling the aftershocks?
2: That's what we're understanding at the moment. Aftershocks are still being felt across southern Turkey, into Damascus, there were reports that people felt this in in Beirut, in the north of Lebanon as well, or as far south as Cairo. There's also, um, I was speaking to an aid worker who mentioned people in Iraq feeling some of the aftershocks. So it's over a very wide area. Have the emergency services been able to get into those affected areas of Turkey and Syria? In Turkey. It's a very large area that emergency services are trying to attend to. So in major cities, there's an effort underway to distribute Turkish emergency services as wide as possible. Into northern Syria, it's a very different question. And so at the moment, it appears that organisations like the Syrian Civil Defence like the United Nations, will be in charge of handling the destruction, but that's only in areas that they already have access to. And in places like Aleppo, it's not immediately clear who will be in charge of helping civilians. Right.
1: And anybody who's seen pictures or video um, of what's happened will see how deep the snow is on the ground in these areas at the moment. It's very, very cold. To what extent is that going to complicate the ability of the emergency services to get in and give people
2: the help that they need? It's certainly going to complicate things. I mean, we've seen that already local officials in parts of the South have said that the weather and the difficulties in the weather, the snow on the ground in many places is absolutely going to make things harder to reach people and also to help people who are Fleeing their homes, so many people that we've spoken to are outside in the street, trying to dig through the rubble while they wait for emergency services to arrive. But they're waiting in the cold. This is an area that is already affected by a major winter storm. The Norwegian Refugee Council just put out a statement saying that you know this earthquake happened at the worst time of night, at the worst time of the year, Um, and that this is affecting millions of people already suffering amid a severe humanitarian crisis. And that this is happening in the middle of an unprecedented cost of living crisis that you have, particularly in Syria, people who, in the words of this particular aid group, shouldn't be allowed to face the effects of this on their own. And, you know,
1: Syrians have been living through a civil war for the past almost 12 years. The infrastructure is just not in place in many areas of
2: that country. How are people going to cope with this? it's sort of difficult to convey the multiple tragedies that are happening at the same time, layered on top of one another to this particular part of the region, because this is an area where uh, there was already a severe cholera outbreak happening due to the issues with infrastructure. So the UN mentioned that between last August and early January, there were over 77 suspected cases of cholera, 100 deaths attributed to cholera. And so this is something that's a direct consequence of the lack of infrastructure leading to dirty water, causing all kinds of problems that we then see manifesting in this severe cholera outbreak, which was affecting large parts of Syria and into Lebanon, and even there have been cases in southern Turkey. And that's something which we can see maps to the kind of infrastructural problems that have now been really made so much worse by this earthquake. What has
1: Bashar al-Assad, the Syrian president, said about this, then? What is his plan to try and
2: help people? It's been quite a contentious fight to get that aid um, into parts of northern Syria over the past couple of years. And that mandate has been something that has been a struggle within the UN Security Council, not helped by the regime of Bashar al-Assad. But whether the Syrian government will be able to fully help and care for people in other government-controlled parts of Syria certainly remains in question.
1: Erdogan has announced a state
2: of emergency in Turkey. What does that actually mean? Well, at the moment, it looks like it was labelled by the interior minister as a, as a level four emergency, which means that Turkey is appealing for international help in dealing with this incident, which politically is unusual. We've seen during smaller previous crises, things like fires that have affected parts of southern Turkey, that the government has really pushed to say that they could handle this all themselves. And I think what we're seeing that is different about just the scale and need of this. And so that appears to be why the level of emergency is that high.
1: What's the relationship like at the moment between Assad and Erdogan, Turkey's president?
2: If you believe Erdogan, they are on track to try for a full reconciliation. Erdogan has certainly been making statements saying that he'd like to meet with Assad as soon as Assad is willing, and and the Syrian government has routinely pushed back on this and said that that would only be possible if Turkey withdraws its forces from parts of northern Syria and Turkey has also repeatedly threatened a further ground invasion into other parts of northwestern Syria. But in the interim, Erdogan has still pushed for this reconciliation. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we are headed towards a major general election in Turkey in mid May. And on top of that, what his government has been pushing for is the return of some 4.4 million Syrians to Syria. If Erdogan has suddenly abruptly changed his tune from out and out calling Assad a war criminal to now saying that northern Syria is safe for Syrians to return, and therefore there's no need for Syrians to be here, from speaking to Syrians who are based in places like Gaziantep, places that were hit badly by the events today, they were saying when I spoke with them, you know, we're not leaving until Assad goes. And this idea that it's safe for us to return is a fantasy. Actually, as I'm looking at my phones, I'm seeing that there is a, a second earthquake that um, has hit, um, according to um, the Syrian state news agency. And uh, I need to go and take a look at this. I'm sorry to have to jump off. People screamed and rescue workers watched, unable to act, as the building was brought down by an aftershock almost as powerful as the initial quake. Experts warn of further tremors across southern Turkey and northern Syria.
1: A few hours after I spoke to Ruth, I called Abdul Rahman Al-Omar. He's a doctor and he works for the Syrian American Medical Society. He and his family live in Gaziantep, where the first earthquake started. When we spoke, the family were all sheltering in their car, metres away from their apartment building, which Abdul Rahman turned the camera to show me. His elderly father was beside him in the passenger seat, and his wife and two children were in the back.
0: Uh, hello, my name is uh, Abdul Rahman al Omar.
1: Can you tell me about what happened this morning?
0: Today, early uh, morning uh, at 4.17am, uh, the earthquake hit the area. It was uh, very, very strong and it uh, continued to about uh, two uh, minutes. Mm. Me and my family were uh, sleeping when the uh, earthquake hit the, uh, the city.
1: Wow. What was that like? What did that feel like?
0: Actually, I cannot uh, describe my feelings. This is the first time I feel such uh, horrible and and, and scary feelings. I'm I'm living in the uh, sixth uh, floor uh, of the building. I felt as uh, the home is uh, moving back and forth as a boat in the sea. I and my family all jumped uh, from our beds and we uh, waited till the earthquake uh, uh, finished uh, it was a horrible really a horrible time
1: gosh yes i mean it's it's difficult to even imagine it sounds horrific um and and how have things progressed during the day what have you been doing today
0: after the earthquake uh, we, we and all the uh, people in the building went to the streets in the in cities, in the open areas. Many, many aftershocks uh, rapidly took place. One of them was about uh, 6.2 on the scale. Now the people are, uh, most of them are in, in, in cars like me uh, with my family. And some of them are in uh, mosques, in uh, schools, in uh, uh, theatres.
1: Wow. Okay. So yes, just doing your your best to keep safe how has the situation been in terms of trying to get help to people of course a lot of people have been trapped in the rubble is aid able to get through at the moment
0: i witnessed and saw many buildings became rubbles and uh, the people were uh, saved by the emergency teams searching about the uh, weak uh, b- buildings uh, and uh, those who are about uh, to, to fall, hundreds of cars left the city toward the north of the cities at the north of Turkey.
1: What's your plan?
0: I'm now in uh, an open area with my family in, in the car. I, uh, I'm planning to go to, uh, to the north because it's more safe, maybe to Ankara or uh, Istanbul uh, city. At the same time, my heart is, is with my people inside Syria, in northwest uh, Syria, because uh, I'm working uh, with uh, SAMS, uh, Syrian uh, American Medical Society, providing health services to the people inside Syria, where uh, already the, the houses are impacted and damaged by the 11 years of uh, uh, conflict. Our hospitals today received uh, more than 9 uh, hundred uh, casualties and uh, unfortunately about 190 uh, persons passed. Uh, so I'm uh, planning to put uh, my family in a safe place and to uh, continue supporting uh, the people across the border through online connection.
1: How confident do you feel that the people who need help right now in southern Turkey and in northern Syria are going to be able to get that help.
0: Here in Turkey, uh, government and authorities are uh, doing well. and uh, The people, as I witnessed, are uh, donating uh, blood and uh, assisting the uh, emergency teams. Uh, in, in Syria, uh, although uh, the medical uh, teams absorbed the first uh, huge wave of casualties from From the uh, health uh, point of view, Uh, you can also imagine other needs uh, because uh, we are in the winter uh, and uh, today is a heavy rainy day with snow, the people there will be in need uh, to shelter, food and uh, uh, heating.
1: Yeah, it must be so worrying for you, both personally and uh, professionally. Do you know if your apartment building, if, if your home still stands?
0: I'm now in my car beside my my home. It's safe, but inside the building, inside my home, there are uh, some distractions. Uh, we and, and all the people here are afraid of uh, uh, going back to their houses.
1: And in the coming weeks and months, do you plan to stay in northern Turkey? Do you have a place to stay?
0: Yes, uh, but I will come back here and uh, continue my job from Gaziantep City here.
1: How do you feel about that?
0: I hope that that things uh, go uh, smooth and, and, and better. I hope that.
1: Coming up, we hear again from Ruth on how this crisis is developing. By late afternoon, Ruth was on her way to Kayseri in central Turkey and she sent us an update on what had happened
2: since we last spoke. Hi, Um, so I'm sending you an update because since we spoke uh, this morning, the death toll has risen rapidly and the suggestions are that it will continue to rise. At the moment, the... Turkish vice president is saying that just in Turkey, over 1,500 uh, people have lost their lives and over 9,700 people are injured. That's of, as of about 7 p.m. local time. But the expectation, unfortunately, is as these rescue teams across southern Turkey continue to work into the night, is that these figures will rise further. The situation appears to be even more bleak in Northern Syria, where we're seeing members of the Syrian civil defence speaking um, about the fact that they simply just need equipment to be able to rescue people from under the rubble. They do not have everything they need to deal with the scale of this problem. That's just in Idlib. What we're hearing from places like Aleppo in Northern Syria is that the situation is equally dire, but there we haven't seen as much suggestion of rescue access and local infrastructure being able to step in to help. And so that is an even more troubling situation.
1: Ruth explained what help the leaders of other countries had offered.
2: So just as, as a sample, um, China has volunteered humanitarian aid Uh, to Turkey so has Russia. There have been 10 search and rescue teams from um, a coalition of European Union countries that have come to help first responders in Turkey. The Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis also offered support to Turkey, which in some ways is remarkable in that these are two leaders in terms of Mitsubakis and the Turkish president Recep Tayyip Erdogan, where there has been very little love lost between them and plenty of verbal sparring in recent months. We're seeing a huge coalition of international countries stepping up to try and provide aid. Iran has has said that it's willing to help. Also, rather controversially, for Syria, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that he had given the go-ahead to send aid to Syria after receiving a request through diplomatic channels, even though these are two countries that do not have political relations. But according to Al Jazeera, there are Syrian officials in Damascus who, in their words, ridiculed and denied the allegations that they requested aid from Israel. Still, we're seeing offers of aid coming in from Poland, from Qatar, from Spain, um, and also from Russia, which has said that it would send... 300 military personnel to help with the rescue effort there. Ruth told us what she
1: thinks is going to happen now. Moving forward in
2: the coming days, what we're looking at, I think, is A situation where the the scale of the rescue effort is almost unimaginable. And that's why we're seeing this enormous growth in international aid coordinated by Turkey, because this is something that no one government could deal with on their own. There are people across southern Turkey sleeping in their cars, trying to find other places to stay, unable to return to their homes. The first priority will be ensuring that these people have somewhere to stay that is warm, where they're not outside in the snow. And then there will be a huge infrastructural effort underway to try and rebuild and to also to rebuild safely. And a lot of that will depend on the effects of aftershocks. There are already opposition lawmakers criticizing what they say is government inattentiveness in the rescue efforts to certain areas. Although it's unclear whether there simply just aren't enough resources to go around at this Present time, but also questions about building regulations, about safety and construction of buildings previously and now going into the future. And we've also already seen officials in Istanbul warning that, you know, this is another city in Turkey that is vulnerable to this kind of disaster, given where it sits on a fault line that runs across Turkey. And so there will be growing questions about how can big cities in Turkey protect themselves if an earthquake does, which no government is in control of. And there are also questions about whether the government was warned about not permitting illegal building and ensuring that people needed to have uh, safely constructed homes in the south. So to prevent the scale of disaster that we're seeing now. And I think those questions will probably linger at least in the coming weeks.
1: That was Ruth Michelson. You can read her reporting from Turkey as this situation unfolds at theguardian.com. Thank you so much to her and to Abdurrahman al for making time to speak to me. This episode was produced by Ruth Abrahams, Cleetia Salah and Rose Dilarabiti. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo and the executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow.